people deluded i'm back again thank you very much for tuning back into another edition of the deluded podcast it's always appreciated and it means a hell of a lot so first and foremost thank you very much for doing that now i've been away for a second people i've been away for a minute in a sense of you know and if you don't know i do youtube videos primarily where i started there's been a whole host of youtube videos and written content but in relation to a podcast i don't want to make excuses because at the end of the day if i can find time or things to speak about in a what's the worst word video format i could do it in an audio format um but i just felt in my heart that there wasn't really much to speak about in relation to a podcast or anything podcast worthy i'm kind of funny with that and i try and take a different approach with this but yeah hope i've still got my fan base here yes we've still got it and we're back again man first and foremost we've got quite a bit of stuff to get through something of nothing stuff of nothing really but yeah man let's just get through it we ain't got time to waste first and foremost in relation to the premier league people it's come out today that the premier league um have been given a deadline of may the 25th for restarts in relation to getting games again or better yet restart proposals this has been issued by uefa um if you don't know, UEFA's executive committee is to hold its next conference call on the 27th of next month, which is May, which, you know, we're going into May in a couple of days. And during this, it will be when it intends to reach a decision as to whether European competitions can be completed in August. And um, people, because you also have seen in relation to the Premier League, the 2020-21 season could start mid-September. Um Pardon me. Going forward, going forward, the UEFA, UEFA's president and UEFA's general general secretary have both stated national associations and or leagues should be in a position to communicate to UEFA by the twenty fifth of May, twenty twenty, the planned restart of their domestic competitions, including the date of restart and relevant competition format. Added to that, UEFA has also asked associations such as the Dutch FA to explain the special circumstances justifying such a premature te- termination. Um, by the same deadline in relation to clubs, it wants to complete compete in Europe next season. Um, so we'll have to see what happens, people. Allegedly, though, UEFA's top officials will be sympathetic to any league that is unable to provide clarity on the 25th of May, purely because, because Football Mirror Society and likewise Society in Football, we don't know how to combat this disease, how to really eradicate it, how to really keep everybody safe. So how can they keep a stadium full of fans or, you know, behind closed doors, we'll still have journalists, still have different club um, staff, we'll still have a bunch of players and medical staff. How can you keep them all safe, um, people? We don't know if that can be done by May the 5th or um, May the 25th or May the 27th, which is also a conflicting report. The same report said 27th. So which day is it? Is it a two-day conference? I'm not too sure. Um, Going on to that, though, apparently a UEFA working group has made strong recommendations that domestic seasons are to be completed by administrator by but sorry administrators would prefer suspended suspended domestic competitions to restart with a different format rather than cancel them. So yeah, everybody maintains we still want to complete the current season, whether that's the Premier League, whether that's UEFA, whether that's you know whatever league. Everybody wants to continue it excluding holland because we'll get on to holland in a bit um it's been agreed that associations may, may cancel their season only if governments pre- prevent sporting events from taking place or insurmount insurmountable economic problems risk the long-term financial stability of domestic competitions and clubs it is uefa has also asked 12 host cities of next summer's delayed european championship to confirm their participation by the 30th of April, which is in a couple of days, which is this Thursday coming, people. So we'll have to see how that how that goes, um, which is, you know, hopefully we get back to playing football, people, because like I said, um, there's proposals to get playing again. You look at the transfer market, apparently, um, proposals to complete the domestic campaign by the end of July and, and European competitions in August are starting to gather momentum. Um, apparently, the 2020-2021, as I've said, campaign is cancelled cancelled is penciled in to start shortly afterwards in mid-september and you've also heard how that affects the transfer market as well people you're again there's no there's no specifics around that but people are not really sure when the transfer market should open should it open you know if it opens 
in August if the season starts in September should you delay it should you delay it if it's in August should because of the circumstances and fitness levels and stuff should you allow people to sign people all the way around there's a lot of things you've even heard you know UEFA are giving serious discussion in relation to allowing teams to have five substitutions um, so we'll see how a lot there's still a lot of teething problems we don't know financially how clubs are going to survive or get past this not just clubs but globally financially specific into football we don't know for players fitness levels and stuff like like that we don't know the transfer market we don't know how we don't we there's still a lot of gray areas around contracts free agents long-term deals alike there's still a lot of gray areas people and a lot of blurred lines so we you know there's a lot to get done really before we start playing again um moving forward though and you know footballers are seen as footballers can't win in my opinion people if they talk about matters that affect society when people agree with them, it's oh, I'm such a champion. When people don't disagree with them, shut up and talk about football. If they're seen to not take, let's say for want of a better word, any interest in society or, or economic problems or problems that you and I, normal people, fail focus on, you're told they live in a bubble, so they can't win. But in good news, Cesc Fabregas has offered to defer his 130k a week wages until July to ease the financial pressure on his club Monaco during the coronavirus crisis. I'm missing out on a lot of, you know, there's no way he's going to cut that and miss out on that tax-free money in Monaco, you know what I'm saying, considering his age. But on a serious note, that's commendable by him. And even more commendable than that, people, um, I believe he meant, he, he said, um, he offered to pay some, I can't remember the staff in specifics, but he's offered to contribute towards staff wages or lift the burden on them. And, you know, whatever you say, if you have got the means to do better, I don't always believe you should be forced to. But, you know, it's nice to see that he's giving back because I'm sure if he was in another position, he would be calling for other people to do the same. Um, so it is what it is. Carrying on with this current theme, apparently there's a project called Project Restart People in which there's plans to resume the Premier League season, which will see us step it up this week. And we'll obviously see teams returning to training. Now, when I say returning to training, you're never going to see a 26-man running in the same line. You know, there's a lot of restrictions. You've seen Arsenal, Brighton, West Ham, I believe... Um, Spurs now have actually all returned or some people have returned and they're doing training in some capacity like I saw for Arsenal it's groups of five you're not in um, it's not compulsory for players to attend but it's in groups of five you know the, the, none of the buildings are open so you have to go and wash your own kit and go have a shower in your house you're working with your own ball and, and you're working by yourself and things obviously we can't be too close to each other um, for the players that's good because mentally again they're still restricted but it gets them out the house it gets them at least being around people to a degree and it also just gets keeps their mind off things because it doesn't matter how much bike work you do in your house how much you know running how much technical ability it can get a bit mundane it can get a bit boring it can get a bit lonely so i'm always wary of the players mental health especially the younger players and especially someone like i say in an arsenal's perspective i'm not saying because he struggles but kieran tierney He's just moved to England from Scotland. He's 22 odd years of age. In all the inter it's not correlated, but in all the interviews I watch from him, he speaks about playing PlayStation and living alone and things. And that's great, but that can become an island that can become a, a negative fortress a place of loneliness now I, again Arsenal and commendable to Arsenal and a lot of clubs they've made it clear any problems you can contact us you know we're there not just for you because you're footballers but as humans um, and that's nice to see but you've also got to be wary of that and when you see people like Nicolas Pepe you know in photographed in cages and things I mean I'd rather him doing kick ups and stuff at London Coley than um, in, in where where is he where is he from Edgware or wherever he's living I don't, I don't know people People, but it is what it is um, apparently the Premier League is hopeful of a potential return by the 8th of June people actually and finishing at the end of July slash August which would then obviously see us probably get a little bit of a break that bit, that being said the cup final competitions will probably be played in August and then we'd probably restart early to mid-September in terms of the 2021 game season in which we'd probably have to be playing catch-up to finish that season in my opinion because you've got the Euros and again I'm not too sure on the knock-on effect delaying this current campaign that we're in is going to have on future league sort of thing so you'd imagine we'd have to play more games in a quicker period that might be a struggle on teams and stuff and also with the contract things imagine you're in your 30s people your team is playing three three times in the space of a quick time quick space of time you get injured your pe your payments are already deferred and there's already gray areas around your contract what happens there do you get it people there's a lot of gray areas within football right now um but if you're a German fan, though, you should be optimistic because allegedly 
Germany or specifically the Bundesliga are ready to return by the 9th of May people. Apparently all games will be televised as well which is also a good money money maker in this current climate especially. Some fans and supporters and rights groups have condemned it as exactly that just trying to make money. Um, obviously this will be played behind closed doors people but it states the German Football League DFL responsible for operating the Bundesliga and second division is determined to finish the current campaign. Its 36 clubs met on Thursday, this was last week at the time of copy and pasting, to discuss a restart of the season next month. However, Germany's football authorities still face some huge questions before they get the green light to resume football in the country behind closed doors. Quotations, I believe the chief executive of the DFL said, If we start on the 9th of May, we are ready. If it is later, we'll be ready again. For us, what is decisive is what the politicians will decide. It's not for us to decide. Games without spectators are not what we want, but at the moment, that is the only thing that we see feasible. And I mean, how can you? I mean, what, I, that's positive to hear, people. Obviously, first and foremost, like I said at the start, football mirrors society, and society mirrors football. They're relying on fiscal policy. They, you know, again, it's all about what German German politicians say. If they banned sporting events, then football cannot go go down. So until there's more clarity, not just there, but for all leagues, there's not much anybody can do. Obviously, to hear it's going to be streamed. On, 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 on TV and stuff behind closed doors that's important for for me because there's no football that's important to a lot of people but also football isn't the same without fans and clearly by that language they want to first and foremost try and get fans in see what can happen but if the situation doesn't improve then it's got to be done behind closed doors and they're ready to act and you know German way of life is very efficient so I do think they're genuinely ready to act people um Obviously, as you lot know, how feasible that is, I'm not too sure because large events in Germany have been banned until the 24th of October, people. So that obviously rules it out at least until the start of next season, 2020, 2021, in terms of fans being able to be up up close and with their players. And also in Germany, it's even more of a concern because um, I think Germany is a bit... It's, I like Germany a lot and Jacques has spoken about. It's very hands-on. You get to see a lot of open sessions and a lot of things like that. So they have to be careful even more. You know, it's very closed off in England, you know. Um, you don't really get open sessions that fans can just roll up on and if you do if there is open sessions you need to be accredited or know the right people you can't just turn up and things people so we'll have to we'll have to see but in relation to their specific plans which they'll do around it people according to plans the task sorry according to plans the stadiums will be divided into three zones only a maximum of 100 people can be in each of these sections the inner section belongs to the 22 players 18 players um Belongs to the 22 players obviously playing, the 18 players on the bench, the five referees and around 53 others, which would probably be media, medical and obviously relevant people that are about people. So we'll see. Um, the stands are considered the second section and the area directly surrounding the stadium is the third is the third one. The plans also include regular testing of players and coaches between training sessions and before every game. Um, a, bio, a biochemist from the Martin Luther University in Highland has said, Hale, sorry, he said he estimates that the DFL would need up to 20,000 deductive de detected, detection tests, sorry, and exceptional organisation measures. So again, where are they going to get these tests? Because you're seeing in the papers all the time, they're running out of tests, there's shortages of tests. Who is going to pay for that as well, as well, people? Um, he's also gone on to say players have to be shielded under specific safety rules to prevent infection because they are not able to avoid contact on the field. And again, what happens if, because we, we're actually hearing that there's second waves of corona and there's actually no way of um, showing that someone's over it. So what if it doesn't show up in the test? What if the test is defective and they, they go and spread it? Do you get it? What if something, what if some that one player isn't tested? And something happens, you get because you got to remember the amount of contact that happens. You remember, I'm not just saying goalies, of course, but goalies spit into their gloves and then they go and touch their teammates and touch the balls and stuff. Everybody's spitting on the floor and then diving into it. Obviously, again, it's contract, it's contracted in the air, but you've got to remember, you know, there's open players get open wounds. Players are in close contact. You know, your manager might, you might be a right back. Your manager pulls you to the side quickly for a little five minutes in your ear. You could have it then. Do you get it, people? And Forgive me if I'm wrong, but, um, you know, and I assume they're not just going to test players, but everybody would need to be tested, people. It would be quite, quite scary. And also the feasibility, because you need people to carry out them tests. You can't just 
give it to someone like me. It's, it's not like a pregnancy test where, you know, a woman can just go and pee on it and then it tells you this and that. Um, if it is, fair enough. But you'd imagine... It probably is, but you'd imagine you'd want somebody who's a professional at this, someone to professionally record these findings as well to help us combat these things because then there's no point. You'd also... You'd need to have people doing that as well. Um, how feasible is that? I don't know, people. Um, and actually, what's scary says it takes a couple of days before someone who has contracted the virus test is positive. So, you know, if you if I don't know if I'm a footballer and I've played a big North London derby on the Saturday and I've tested, I haven't got it. And then a couple of days later, I've tested, I have then 20, 21 other men could get it, and even more than that, because it said 22 players, there's 18 on the bench and there's 53 other people. So all it takes is one person to corral all of that people. So is it really safe in this current climate? Probably not. But who knows, people? And, you know, you can't really describe people describing it. You can't really get onto people describing it as money-driven in a climate like this, people. Um, but it is scary, though. And to be fair, even if it is money-driven, you can't blame them, really, for thinking of it. Because apparently, according to information, at least 13 of the 36 Bundesliga and second division sides face insolvency by May or June if the season does not restart soon. 12 of these 13 clubs have already guaranteed the fourth and last instalment of this season's television rights money to creditors. So they're already crippled financially, so they kind of need this money or it's a myth, people. Um, I do believe some ultras at Gladbach condemned this sort of move or these talks and turned up at um, outside the stadium um, to um, in a behind-closed-doors game dressed up in white sheets to protest this so-called ghost game. So, you know, how some supporters feel about it, specifically the Gladbach ones, people. Um, Bayern Munich are back in training as well and were back in training quite early within the contexts and so was Dortmund and Leipzig so Germany might be ahead of us people um, and for what it's worth the, the, the German Football League sent to clubs a, a paper including 31 instructions for training sessions people and clubs have promised to obey that now you, I'm pretty sure you've all seen Holland have cancelled their footballing season, which is quite upsetting um, and, and sucks, especially if you're Ajax and AZ Alkmaar, who, you know, were going neck and neck for the title. In fact, Alkmaar, AZ Alkmaar um, were only behind on goal difference and there was nine games left, people. But nobody's, you know, there's no relegation, there's no promotion and nobody's won the league, people, which is cruel, but I guess it's a fair way of doing it within the context. There's no right way. Someone's always going to have something to say. Like, could you imagine the Premier League if this happened? If you're Norwich, if you're Villa, if you're Bournemouth, who I believe occupy them positions, you're probably going to say, but we had this game and that game. You know, someone's going to have something to say about relegation. Can't imagine nobody's going to, someone's going to have something to say about Liverpool walking away with the league, but someone might. The top four, definitely people are going to have something to say about such people um because imagine it went on old rankings if i'm leicester i'm going livid i'm saying yo listen we was getting that do you get what i'm saying people so who knows what's going to happen there but in relation to the dutch fa um the head of the dutch fa says it was a bitter day cancelling the eredivisie early and thinks it is very doubtful the premier league will be able to complete the 2019-20 season um as you lot know it was abandoned yesterday well abandoned at the time Major events in Holland are actually banned until September because of the outbreak. So that's pro undoubtedly had something there. And the president of the KNVB has actually said the chances of football elsewhere in Europe behind closed doors are slim. In an interview with the BBC, he said um, he explained the vote explained the vote of clubs provided a no clear guidance and so the decision went to governing bodies boards but they accepted there'd be winners and losers people so it's quite cruel um he went on to say it's it's obviously slim about other european leagues restarting um and it's quite it's quite sad you know in relation to the quickly in relation to the the promotions and stuff people because you look at Cambo, they topped the second division and had an 11 point gap over the playoff positions and they still won't go up so imagine next season it's not the same case it's quite sad but it is what it is um so yeah, when asked about about um, games returning in Europe even without fans, he said it's slim. So I do think Holland knows something we don't. He said, but at the same time, I do not know what is true for us. We are footballers. We want to we want to play. It is true for all of my colleagues around the continent and in the Euro in the UK. It's is not different. So they will hold on to a silver of hope as long as there is. But again, we've seen how this develops. Is it realistic in the end? It will probably not be, but we'll see. To be honest, seeing what's happening and seeing 
and seeing that things get postponed week by week, how realistic is it that within the next three or four weeks we'll come to a completely different conclusion? Not so much, I believe. And also, the Premier League will need to take a number of weeks to complete their competition. Is there going to be enough time for that? Very doubtful. Um, as you lot know, people, 4,000 people sadly died in the Netherlands due to COVID-19, which is quite sad. The Eredivisie has never actually ended a season without a champion being named since it was formed in 1956. Um, if I haven't made this clear already, the KNVB added that clubs could not be promoted from the second tier without relegation from the top division in order to ensure that there is no fixture congestion next season. Um, the head coach of Canberra, Henk de Jong, described it as the biggest disgrace in the history of Dutch sports. Um, he said it was a very bitter day because you want this to happen on the pitch, not by two or three people behind the table having to make this decision. There are winners and losers, and in this particular, for the losers, it was a very, very bad day. So we feel sad. We feel very sad that we had to come to such a decision. We sympathise a lot with those clubs and their supporters. At the same time, there was no way around it. And he's gone on to say he would not blame English bosses if they were to come to a different conclusion with Liverpool 25 points clear. And he's gone on to say we thought it would it was really inappropriate to just award a title for this specific time frame. Where on the other hand, the competition did not conclude. There's no formal champion in that sense. But also to take on board what is going through society. I mean, talk about champion in, in such a year. We, not, we do not believe that was appropriate. For example, if you were to compare that to the English situation, maybe you would come to a different conclusion. Liverpool is so way out compared to the rest, I would not blame the FA if they came to that conclusion. But in our case, that is not appropriate. Which is quite crazy. Um, and you've also, also heard in relation to um, England people, which is of benefit, the government plans to set up the first of a series of regular meetings involving medical directors of major sports this week in a bid to return to action as soon as possible. So in short, obviously, as this situation develops, as we're presented with new information and new findings, speaking with these with these experts who understand the field inside out and can also consider it from a a perspective because you could imagine you've got medical staff you've got specialist events man that have are used to dealing with events with probably millions of people there at one time or thousands of people and how we you know all using these expertise to first and foremost how we can get football back and ultimately keeping people safe and again it's not really feasible really i want it to go back but again what would people say if if, if we go back tomorrow and things happen because what you've also got to remember and what i said to my friends as well just because it's hype behind closed doors don't mean fans won't turn up think about it logically if if, if clubs like the emirates or man united rightly or wrongly fans would turn up in and around the ground how many of you go to games like i go to the emirates and i'm good friends with some people who never go into the ground but i mean never go inside the ground but before it, they're, they're in the pub, you know, they walk around the Emirates, they're getting, you know, a pint and things like that. You've got to think about these. These are people that could spread it. And certain people, would, even if you close all of these things, people would turn up because, you know, they, they want to chant on their team and stuff. People, what's to stop people just linking up outside the Emirates, for example, streaming it on their phone, but just being there sort of thing? Because the players have got, you know, it's it, again, it's, it shouldn't be sensible. The players have to leave at some point. People would probably still be trying to get autographs. So, it, you know, you've already seen with, with problems in this country. People have issues in England actually just staying in their house. And I've, I, I, w I walked in the park yesterday, people. I was doing, you know, you're allowed one hour. I was doing jogging. I'm seeing people play football, like 11 aside. I'm thinking, don't get me wrong, I'd love to be involved. But come on now. Come on. It's quite crazy, people. It, 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 it is It is mad. And over in, in Holland, Holland, sorry, over in, in Spain, it's not really a, a positive picture either because Javier Tebas, who is the president, um, he, he has said it, he says it's more realistic. It's more realistic than anything else that there'll be no fans at games in, in his country until 2021, given the lack of vaccine for coronavirus at present. He also went on to say he met with Premier and Segunda Division teams in Spain to explain that. To explain to them that most recent meetings between the CSD and the Spanish Football Federation and the important Pacto de Vania, which these are just several governing bodies, there is a plan for formulating to get football back after they obviously after they met and held a secretive meeting. So again, like like Germany, they want to get and and Holland. I'm sorry, like Germany and England, clearly 
the Spaniards want to get football going again. I think I've, I'm taking a leaf out of the Dutch because I think the Dutch are taking the right approach. But it is what it is, people. It is what it is. Um, he went on to say, um, well, the details of this meeting were not offered. Were not were not offered public yet. So maybe there's findings they don't know about yet. But allegedly, he wanted to make it clear so that everyone was aware of of how the the financial impact apparently um, the impacts. The, the, the impact is so much so that income is being hit by a lack of ticket sales. Clubs could lose 129.5 million people, which is estimates at 117 million from the first division and 12.5 from the second. This makes up just part of the losses, sadly, folks, they would face. La Liga bosses believe the losses could come in at 900 and 956 million euros if they don't return to play and 350 million euro if the games are played with no fans. For that reason, the club are planning strategies to mitigate the loss with 11 games left. Some are talking about returning part of the season ticket and others are talking about reducing the price of next season's ticket, season's tickets, people, which you clearly, you can see they're, they're in a loss, people, which is quite scary, folks. Um, and he also, for no reason, he went and spoke about that, uh, you know, um, Barcelona are not interested in Neymar and, and Latoura Martinez, or better yet, I put it wrong, they're not currently negotiating. Why he mentioned that, I don't know, people. But it is quite scary, because obviously you can see the lack of matchday revenue for teams is set to simply have a catastrophic financial impact. Obviously, you're seeing, you're seeing, like, you're seeing estimated totals into the 300 million euro people. Teams are going to face that. Like, you look at Spain... Again, I don't know Barcelona's financial situation, so I'm going to include them. But I think Real Madrid is probably the only team that won't, you know, really face face any problems. And I don't really know that. I just think Madrid's brand is probably strong enough, similar to United's in England. Um, I think the same would be case said for Barcelona. I'm not too sure on Atletico and all of these teams, people. I don't know the financial and um, landscape in in France and um, in Spain. I don't know the true health of these clubs. I don't, I don't know. Um, you'd, you'd expect after the Premier League, La Liga's TV rights are pretty healthy. But if you're not getting them, then it's irrelevant. And you'd imagine a lot of clubs are reliant on that. So, and obviously gate receipts. So I don't know how they're going to get through that. And it is quite scary for, for from a general football fan's perspective. Um Keeping up with the theme of coronavirus people, you've obviously seen people taking cuts. Chelsea, I think you've got a clap for Chelsea, in fact, because they've did it correctly, people. They've, um, they're just doing everything correctly, man. They're utilising the hotels for NHS staff and Chelsea doing a whole bunch of other things and so are the players. Um, Chelsea's first team players will not be taking a pay cut to contribute to the club during the corona pandemic, but will focus on further supporting other charitable causes. It had been reported, obviously, that there was talk of taking a 10% cut. And, you know, I think Chelsea have simply learnt from other other clubs getting it wrong, maybe even my club, and done it correctly. Um, in other news, Aston Villa's first team players, coaches and senior management will obviously defer 25% of their salary for the next four months to aid that club. While Norwich has said they will stick to their guns on a decision to furlong non-playing staff with the club expected to, love, to lose £35 million because of the coronavirus. As you lot know, Norwich and also Newcastle are the only clubs currently using the government's retention scheme. A lot of clubs buckled under the pressure of doing such. Specifically Spurs had to do it. Um, obviously Spurs, Liverpool did it as well and Bournemouth and they all buckled after seeing the club's issues and I think Norwich will probably have to sell, end up selling off a couple of their players especially if they get relegated people um, they have said the decision we made was in the best interest of the club and its staff we've been very transparent that we're run in a self-financed manner we generate a turnover of 123 million 93 million of that is broadcast and we spent 125 this year that's how we run this club Ultimately, we had the available cash flow to not have to take up schemes then like other, sorry people, if we had the available cash flow to not have to take up schemes then like other football clubs, we wouldn't have. And during this, the, Coro the, the Canary, sorry, hoped to make 2.5 million of savings and I've actually agreed with the HMRC to delay 18 million of repayments of VAT and PayYE while players, head coach Dan Farke, the executive committee and the directors have donated more than 200,000 200, um, to, to local initiatives. So we'll see, man. It'll be nice to see something improve. In relation to cuts, and I have to rate Roy Keane, people, because he's spread up the realness. 
I always love when when the Scots and the Irish players speak because they don't mix their words like how we like how we Brits do. I'm not going to lie to you. He said he feels Premier League players are being pressured into taking pay cuts, and he's actually said he wouldn't have taken one. He said, "I have enormous sympathy for players because once again, a lot are being criticised. I wouldn't take a pay cut from anybody if I was one if I was at one of the bigger clubs. I know there's pressure on players, but it's nobody's business what you do with your wages." You take your wages, and if you want to be generous, go ahead and do it. But I do feel players—I don't feel players should feel under pressure from clubs, especially bigger clubs, to take a pay cut. And that's fully right, people. Like again, I love Arsenal Football Club, and again, financial things—we all probably have to take a cut. But it—it it felt like initially the first—the first ball that that was dropped at our feet was of the players. It was down to the players to to save the health of this club. It was down to the players to save not um, match day staff, and it's not their fault. We for years should have been planning and having substantial cash reserves and the available cash flow to keep going. If that's not the case, we've got to look at Fingy, our owner, billionaire, multi-billionaire, married to a billionaire, Walmart. LA Rams or whatever it is and Arsenal in their dynasty it's him should you be, be saving it doubled his, pro doubled his share price doubled his profits without actually putting money in since he took this club why is it down to employees to save employees it's a joke it's a joke and I feel footballers have been scapegoated footballers are very much a target it started the moment them MPs came out and got at players when they're the same ones still taking ex expenses and whatnot. They they don't like players and they use this as an opportunity and I, I while I'm again players don't have to take wage cuts and I do think players have to do something for charity you not you don't have to but it'd be nice and it speaks a lot if you don't and a lot of ha have but in relation to wage cuts they shouldn't feel under pressure and clubs have been pressuring them especially the younger players I think Roy Keane is freeing up the realness here people let's let's be honest he said um but I, yeah he said he went on to say they've signed a contract and we know everyone is different with different perks and details but your contract with the club is a personal matter. And this idea, all the players have to take a pay cut and all the players have to do this and that is nonsense. I think it's up to the individual. And if they want to stick to their guns and say, I'm sticking with my full wages while we have a billionaire in the background, then do it. Don't be swayed by some sort of pressure in the media. And that's what, yeah, of course, the media is a big thing. When you see, you know, the media don't get the specifics. They just you see a headline, Joe Bloggs, money grabber, not donating none of his wages. Social media, a bag of people atting you. Walking down the street, a bag of people saying it. I can't understand why players just do it. Because they don't want to hear the noise, whether they think it's right or wrong. Very few players are going to, in, in life, are just going to go against the grain because they know what's right. Again, it's completely different. It, it it comes with the same backlash. If a player speaks up about racism, they're told they're playing the race card, they're told they're doing this. So like most issues, players would just shut up and accept it, whether it's right or wrong, accept the wage cuts and things like that. And I do think it's going to be a bit, a bit techy because obviously if you've taken a wage cut and your player, your team goes out and spends 50 million on a top player, they're obviously going to be on big wages and things. Um, They might have to take a, day, a pay cut in line with that as well. But you're going to look at it and say, oh, I swear you spoke of the financial health of this club, but you've forked out that outlay. You've given him all these bonuses. So you've swindled me sort of thing, people. And, it's, and like I said, the billionaires should be able to save this club because they've sat back and taken all the gate receipts, all the profits made, um, all the season ticket purchases. They've sat back and all the TV rights and riches and the kits. They've sat back and laughed it off. It's down to them to save employees. It's easy to get footballers because footballers in your face, footballers on the TV. Again, I'm not, I don't I think any Arsenal fan wouldn't know who Stan Kroenke is, but there's probably some fans, you'd say list, maybe older fans, you know, list, not to be ageist, but list, list Arsenal's players, you could probably identify Mesut Ozil, blah, blah. Stan Kroenke, you probably couldn't pick him out in a mugshot. And the same goes for a lot of teams. I can tell you about Man United, I can't tell you too much about the Glazers. I can tell you, well, you know who Roman Abramovich is, and he's done a lot, so he's irrelevant from this. But you get it. I can't tell you what Liverpool's owner looks like or the FFG, whatever group it is. But I can tell you who Klopp is and the players are. You know, I can tell you um, Jose's at Spurs and, and, and whatnot. But I can't tell you about Levy and the other guy, really. Because they're not really at the forefront. Then they're, they're really behind the scenes. Look at Brighton. Does anyone... Well, who's Brighton's owner? I had to Google that, that he's worth a billion. You get, you get what I'm saying, people? So footballers are already hated because they come from middle class typically and do something for themselves and they're at the forefront i think it's a joke how people uh, uh, nobody's really said anything about the owners of these clubs people 
And like he said, people, he said, I am really surprised at the amount of people jumping on the bandwagon with the criticism of players. And I do think some people are just sour that they're not making as much football money as footballers. And like with anything in social media, they use it to project their own insecurities. Because I do think there's three sides to every story. There's what you're saying. There's another perspective where two truths can, two different things can coincide. Um, together and then there's the truth people and I think many people just speak in agendas and just have one thing and decide to stick to their guns unnecessarily half the time people um, and he said I'm talking about the top clubs with the really wealthy owners when I was at Manchester United we had different personalities but we were able to make our own choices and what you'll find is some of the players taking their full wages might be the most general players on generous players on the planet <coughs> just because they're not putting it on social media it doesn't mean to say they're not doing their own bit for the NHS or what charity they want to. And as much as I believe in donating for the NHS and things like that, people, I am changing a bit. Like, I, I've i donated to charity, but I didn't donate to the NHS. I donated to a specific cause, and I purely, that helps the NHS. And I said that because it clicked on one day. It's like, listen, raise money for the NHS. Do what you want to do. Do all of these things. But it clicked. It's like, why are we, why are we, I'm a taxpayer, right? Why am I paying my taxes and then raising more money for, for the NHS? That's not to be dissensitive. That's not saying that they don't need it. But it's me saying, I've paid my. we pay our tax to pay into this national service. We are told for years there's no money for this, there's no money for that. And money, in, because of the times, money's falling out the sky and many different things. Why are the government not investing significantly in the NHS? Doesn't it just sound like a bit of a shake, people, that we're paying tax, then we're raising money or donating again? To, to the same thing that we're nationally funding it don't make sense like i said i can't begrudge you if you paid to them and things but i chose that conscious choice myself to say yo listen i'm gonna donate to another another sort of thing to get it, people um but i'm not begrudging anyone that was just my personal choice um and and obviously he's gone on to say that he's gone on to say whenever i was negotiating contracts the clubs always made it pretty clear to me it was a business I signed a contract and I expected clubs to honour that contract. I know circumstances have changed and I'm talking about clubs who have money available. But at Nottingham Forest, I was on the same money for two and a half years. I eventually got a pay rise and I was told I was greedy. I went to Manchester United and they told me they could not match Blackburn Rovers for wages. Can you believe a club like that? When I signed a new deal at United, they sent out a letter to supporters saying the season ticket prices had gone up because of my contract. The day I left, I sat in front of the manager, Alex Ferguson and David Gill, who discussed cash flow problems. Brilliant. So that's the business side of it. And when players come to the club now, and I mean the big clubs with the wealthy owner saying we're in trouble. No, no, no. You honour that contract. And if certain players want to give up their wages, good luck to them. That's up to the individual. But this idea players should be giving up their wages with big clubs. Forget about it. These clubs are first to tell you this is a business, lads. This is how it works. These owners are billionaires. They are ruthless. They are very shrewd, shrewd people. They come to players moaning about cash flow problems. I've heard it all before. Take no notice of it. 100%. And someone like Mesut Ozil, who, you know, this just this week, you've seen him probably donate to about three different charities. He's doing something in Sierra Leone. He's doing funding medical research for something in Turkey. And he's also doing something in relation to helping disadvantaged kids all over the world, which is crazy, people. How much a man like that gets slandered. But... Moving away from that and moving on from that, folks. Sadly, we've got all the corona stuff out of out of the system. All of the sort of negative stuff you could say, people. Um, speak about. Let's speak about the the Champions League. And I must admit, qualification for the Champions League in line with this COVID nineteen stuff is very subjective. But apparently, that and what I don't think it's going to happen. But. Arsenal could lead a backdoor route into next season's U UCL if completing domestic seasons proves impossible. Apparently, Euro Chiefs have been urged to order associations to use the UEFA co-efficient sorry scores to decide which teams will qualify. Arsenal are fourth in these standings. With this being said, Spurs, Chelsea, and Leicester would enter the Europa League. Tottenham could gain entry in the Euro into the Champions League should Man City's ban be held. So clearly this is bad news for Manchester United. Deciding the UCL and EU EL spots based on the UEFA co-efficient is a genuine proposal that will be discussed by the influential clubs, European Clubs Association and UEFA, then by the European Football's ruling executive committee. Um, the actual the actual standings 
or co-effective co co efficient for Premier League clubs. Manchester City um, have a hundred and have a hundred and twelve, um, hundred and twelve thousand. Liverpool have ninety nine. Man United have ninety two. Arsenal have ninety one. Spurs got eighty five, and Chelsea got eighty three. Um, um, and in relation to how this actually works, um, for for use for UCL matches up to and including 2017-18, you make the first quarter quarter first quarters. So what am I talking about quarters? You make the first knockout is zero point five points. Second round of elimination are one point. Um, you get got bonus points of four for games. G GS bonus participation. Um, GS1 you get two points GS draw you get a point you reach the last 16 or you participate you get a bonus bonus four points for participation in such and you get extra points if you obviously reach the quarterfinals semi-finals and the finals for the Europa League from 2019-18-2019 onwards clubs are guaranteed a minimum of three points if they reach the group stages an extra points for each draw an extra two points for each win and are awarded an additional point if they get to the quarterfinals semis or final. So, yeah, man, I don't think it will boil down to that. I personally think the best way to do it is the league standings. I know Arsenal could sit there and go, you know, we was turning the corner in 2020. We're unbeaten until this thing happened and it's cool. But at the same time, that doesn't reflect our whole, our whole season. I'm pretty sure I would love to get in the Champions League via this way. Don't get it twisted. But in our heart as hearts, we don't deserve it because we haven't been good enough. I think the current standing should stay as they are because, again, the season isn't finished. And many people, whether you're fighting for the league, not in this case, but fighting for the league, mid-table, relegation, Europe spots, you can sit there and say things. But we have to hold our L. You look at Wolves, I'm pretty sure Wolves, by their own standards, didn't have the best of starts to the season. And now they're in genuine chance of getting that. You look at Sheffield United, sheer hard work, consistency and determination. They deserve to be in Europe. Leicester, sorry, deserve to be in Europe. City, obviously not good by their own standards, but are second. Deserve to be in Europe. Liverpool deserve to be in there. We are ninth because we've been failing, so we have to hold our L. Like, we don't deserve Champions League football, of course. I want to be in there, people, of course. But it is what it is in that regards. We can't, you know, we can't do anything else about that. Um... Moving away from that though, people, and finally to wrap this up, we might as well speak about transfers, people. Um, I've copied and pasted some transfer news. Um, apparently, Arsenal have been linked with Ben Yedda, um, the striker, a striker who's ironically kept Lacazette out of the French side, so I'm not too sure Lacazette would be happy. I wouldn't mind him, but it was not really convincing. He's a baller in that, but it's like, ugh, if it replaced the Bambi, I'd have, to, I'd have to wait a couple of games before I'm sold on it. Um, you've all seen apparently Chelsea are monitoring and keeping an eye on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's situation and are, along with a whole host of clubs are looking at him in the summer. You've also heard today or in the last few hours that you know Arsenal haven't given up hope of him signing a new deal which hopefully can, he, we can get him to commit to. Um, but if I was him, I'd leave because I think there's only one last chance to win trophies, maybe earn bigger wages elsewhere if Arsenal don't pay over the odds due to their desperation to keep you. If he feels comfortable in London, if he feels an important player and he feels he can genuinely achieve whatever he wants to achieve under Arteta, then fine. But a player like Aubameyang, for me, it's a crime if you don't go and get another league trophy or something. And you're only going to get that if you go to the Real Madrid's and teams like that that you've been linked with. Um, so we'll see what happens in that regards. Apparently, we're also ready to listen to offers of for him um, of such because of this. So we'll see how that goes. Former Arsenal and current Chelsea striker Olivier Giroud has extended his deal until 2021 at that club. So that probably, I know Giroud's still probably eyeing the Euros. That keeps him in European competition. Also, that could have just been an extension to sell him in the summer versus letting him go for free. Um, you know, because he's got a difficult decision to make because Giroud's found game time a bit inconsistent this season and had to be patient. Tammy's done very well, but I'd imagine Chelsea sign another another striker. They might sign another winger. Now, a winger doesn't correlate with Giroud, but, you know, when, once you play in one of the attacking three positions, whether it's a winger or not, somebody starting indirectly means you miss out. Do you get it? Lacazette playing up front meant Aubameyang moved to the left. Um, meant um, Martinelli misses out of the team you get so that might be something to consider I, my personal opinion is you know that helps them sell him on I I think he'll probably leave Chelsea I don't know where he'd go um, at his age you know America and these clubs are an, are an offer but we know Giroud's very much liked by Deschamps and Deschamps previously told him if you go to America and such leagues then it's a myth for you and 
I'm pretty sure he would want to crack at the Euros if he is given an opportunity, whether he deserves it or not. Um, because, you know, the chance to win the Euros after becoming a World Cup winner is pretty decent, folks. Um, so we'll see what happens in that regards. Keeping up with the theme of Chelsea and strikers, though, apparently, according to Le Ten Sport, they have contacted Lille over Nigerian striker Victor Osimhen, who's 21 and could have signed for Arsenal at 18, but he decided not to and go to Wolfsburg. Um, and he's developed. And I mean, he's got potential. I like him a lot. Can he do it in the Prem? You never know until he signs, but Chelsea could do a lot worse. Apparently, Barcelona want to sign Endombele from Spurs and have offered a par exchange deal that would see um, Umtiti, who's actually scored at White Hart Lane. Well, it's not White Lane anymore. And Semedo moved the other way. Now, I don't know how they feel about that because Endombele undoubtedly would be labelled a flop because he would be a flop if he did leave. If like He would be a flop if he did leave. Um, but... It's a difficult one because I think he's definitely got a lot to offer in the Prem. I definitely think he's got the ability. I definitely think there's a lot of things he, can, he needs to learn, but I definitely think he's got the quality. The problem is, do, do does it risk the chance of becoming a repeated sort of drama similar to what Jose and Pogba was going through? Because I think Pogba, I think Ndombele is a baller. If he signed for Barca, Spurs would look silly in a couple of years. But, you know, if Jose is going to keep scapegoating him, if he's not going to recognise his strengths, if he's going to keep doing what he's doing, is it worth just getting rid of him and just leaving the story dead before it's even got an opportunity because what's the point having a player that your manager for whatever reason appears to not be convinced about something and you know how Jose is with these players you don't want it to be something that risks alienating the player and it continues to other people in the team um, so if this can get nipped in the bud it should now if I'm them I'd assume money is being offered on top of them now I mean, 40 million and them two players there, it's probably just that you might as well call that 60. I'd be looking for anything from 20 to 40 million on top of these two players because I think Umtiti would be a good signing. I know he's got injury issues. I, I'm a big fan of Semedo. They need a right back, so that could be something. I want Semedo at our club. And you're hearing Semedo's rated at 45 million anyways. So if they was to get that, then, it, you know, they, they, they've got two spots and they've got money to throw elsewhere. The problem is they need players like Endombele. He's very good at carrying the ball. He's very good at passing and stuff. I don't really think Spurs have too much man like that. He's completely different from Eriksen. But if anyone's going to take the mantelpiece, unless someone else comes in, it's him. So it's similar to, to what you could do at other clubs if you sell him one, but you're creating more problems. Um, so it's a difficult one. But I definitely feel... At first, I would I shunned that. When my friend, who's a Spurs fan, showed me that, I was like, no, nah, no. Nah. Ndobile states but then I started to think about it it could be something for Spurs to consider apparently and you lot know Chelsea have had issues with keepers apparently they're looking at replacing Kepa with um, Donnarumma 21 years of age at AC Milan who's only 21 I'm sure he's been around for about five years now and to be fair they've been linked with a whole host of keepers I wonder if they go for Testegen purely because you keep hearing that him and his advisors are at loggerheads with Barcelona over a contractual renewal Surely he's someone that if you're Chelsea, you just try and throw the cash at and get. Also buy Munich because they're trying to renew Neuer's contract. So could they go for Testegen, who's seen as at a point as the heir to the German mantelpiece and whatnot? I don't know. You lot know me, I'm a big fan of Hossam Awa and it pains me that RMC Sport are reporting that Arsenal are not interested in him, but instead he's being coveted by City, who you know Pep's a big fan of his. He's been linked with Juventus in the past. How many midfielders do they need? And he's been linked with PSG, which obviously the chance to play with Neymar and that is amazing. Um, apparently City are also looking at Fabian Ruiz. Um, so we'll see how that one goes. Um, what else is there? Everton have contracted Barcelona over the availability of 21-year-old defender Emerson, who's actually having a decent year, Real Betis. Apparently the Toffees have also made a loan move to sign Philip Coutinho, and I've seen Newcastle have as well. Um, one minute Coutinho, you don't know what's going to happen with Coutinho, because he's injured at the moment, he's had surgery, but you're hearing the Barca manager wants to give him a chance, um, you're hearing he needs to be sold to raise funds, you're hearing nobody's actually interested in him, and it's more his agent going around and trying to find a move for him. Um, so we'll never know. I mean, it'll be quite a fall from grace if you go from Barcelona to Bayern Munich on loan to Newcastle or Everton in the space of two years. It's, it's sad. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. We'd all be, I'm sure we'd all be billionaires and we'd all be highly educated if we had hindsight people. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. If Coutinho knew now what he knew, then he probably wouldn't have made the Barca move. But I can't begrudge him. He's won trophies at Barcelona. He's played for Barcelona. You can't turn him down. It just hasn't worked out. It is what it is. You, you'd rather do that and it hasn't worked out than that what-if stuff. 
Now you can sit here and say, oh yeah, you would have won the Premier League and Champions League had you stayed at Liverpool. That very might well be the case, people. But again, I don't know Liverpool's finances. Coutinho was sold for big money. Was it a case of, you know, they had that big money regardless of Coutinho and they were going to sign Alisson and these men before? Or did Coutinho's selling kind of fund that sort of stuff, people? Um, apparently, Coutinho's advisors tried to get him a move back to Liverpool and Liverpool said no. And um, I'm sure Klopp probably wanted to do it, but you've got to have morals and whatnot and football moves on. You've got to move on from Coutinho. Playing-wise, of course, he, he gets in that side and, and wreaks havoc in, in that Liverpool side. But it is what it is. I'd take him at Arsenal, but it just seems that we're just linked with him for paper talk. Um, we've got Danny Ceballos, who has been told um, he's been assured a future at the Bernabeu by Zidane. But he's also said he hasn't spoken to Zidane since he's gone out on loan. Does that scream like a manager who's got you in his long-term plans? I'll leave you lot to decide such people. What other news have we got? Barini, former Chelsea and Liverpool lad. Oh, I wish I want to go back to the times Liverpool had man like Barini and these guys, man. They were simpler times. Like just a few years ago, if if Arsenal and Liverpool bidded for a player, it was very neck and neck as to which one they're going to. Like Sacco rejected us for Liverpool. Alexis um came to us instead of Liverpool, offered him more money. You know, Suarez wanted to leave Liverpool to come to Arsenal. Now people looking at you like you're like like you smoke crack if you want to join join Arsenal at the Liverpool or did all them sort of thing there but they've been linked um Barini's been linked with Aston Villa and Crystal Palace he's now 29 and he plays for Verona um not been watching him at all but from what I remember about him he's very passionate and likes to fly into some tackles for a striker so that could be something that both teams need um I'm sure depending on if Villa stay in the Premier League if there is legs to this um that will all be Premier League dependent um Apparently, the lot is going to be sold by Manchester United. Let's be honest, he just hasn't done anything of note for Manchester United. He's had injuries, but you've not seen any of the potential. Apparently, PSG and Barcelona are looking at him, um, but he wants to fight for his future. Apparently, there's a 30 million fee being quoted, and I'm sure you, you, didn't United spend a similar fee on him. I'm sure United would probably just probably take that, people. Um, apparently, Barcelona went for Intel... Um, um, but went to his former club Porto for intel on what his personality is like and they're eyeing him up. So, you know, I mean, Man United's a big club, but Barcelona, football in perspective, it would be everything's got a silver line. You didn't get a chance at United, you're at Barcelona with Lionel Messi now sort of thing. Um, it's, a cra- it's a crazy one. Um, L'Equipe has said um, Man United are resigned to, leave, to losing Paul Pogba. They've gone on to say Zidane and Pogba are in union over making it happen this summer, essentially. Zidane has made it clear he wants Real Madrid to sign Pogba this summer, while the player has made it clear to the agent he wants the move to happen. It's been suggested Real will seek open, open informal negotiations with United over a fee. Um, over a year ago, it was quoted as being 180 to 200 million for Pogba, but apparently it's now 7780. You do hear he's got a year extension clause in his contract at United, and the latest report I saw is that they, they just want to get rid of him now. They want to sell him. Um, so maybe they're just tired of the problem. Not even problems, because I don't feel Pogba's problematic, but there's the headlines and stuff. And genuinely, if he doesn't want to be there, there's no point. No matter how good he is, there's no point in being there. If he do-, I, do you know what? I think it's in the balance. I think... Do you know, I don't think Pogba's as unhappy as in, at United as people think, but I do think he's probably thinking, yo, like, you know, Madrid, I, I want to play for Zidane, or I've been linked with Juventus, and apparently you've heard Barcelona have agreed terms with him, personal terms, it's just about a case of United now, you can't begrudge him for that. You know, people like when Arsenal signed Pogba, people, people signed those, I'd love it to have been Pogba, people expect these players to come here, a thousand goals, a million assists, you know, every game they're losing, change it, and it's not, the, 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 the health of the club has to be in the best situation. The playing staff has to be. And they, and obviously, there's criticism. They all, both players, Pogba, the focus of this conversation, needs to accept. But time and time again, he's scapegoated and he doesn't really need to do that. And if I'm being, if, if everything is always my fault like it is here and I'm being linked with my former club Juventus, Barcelona and Madrid, I'm going to entertain it, people. And it's sad because, you know, United, I'm sure Man United fans were, were wetting their mouths at the prospect of Bruno Fernandes, who started the season, his well, 
his part, his his Man United career in January, um, his part of the season he's able to play um, in a fantastic fashion and he's lovely technically. You've obviously got Paul, Paul Pogba who's very good technically and the prospect of them linking up together, Bruno Fernandes even spoken on it, must have been a mad thing to hear. Um, obviously, you know, the, what they can do in midfield and obviously build on that because you hear Jade, you're hearing Jade and Sanjo, you're hearing Partey, you know, imagine a midfield of Partey, Pogba and, and Bruno, forget about it. Forget about it. I wouldn't want to play against them. Forget about it, people. It's a myth. Um, but yeah, obviously, I think it would be Pogba would be a success. It would be it, maybe not as much of a success, but it'd be a, his career would be a success at United. It hasn't been the thing of you know Pogba return. He's won Europa League and that, but it's not Pogba returns. They've won the league and all these things similar to Arsenal with Ozil. Ozil's come here. We've now gone one better than all six, and we've won the league and all these sort of things. I think they've done what they can really and truly people just expect unnecessary fireworks and this perception is ridiculous um they've been linked with Jaden Sanjo and Gary Neville said to be honest Jaden Sanjo in this moment we get a bit carried away I think we've got an amazing group of young English players but we have to consider the other players that exist Brazilian players Argentinian players German players Belgian players we are not the only country in the world let's be clear Sanjo is a talent but we can't stop putting him in the category of world stars who are winning European Cups and World Cups regularly season in, season out. That's why I put Varane ahead of Van Dijk purely because this moment in time, Varane's won so many European titles. He's an amazing player. You can't separate their talent, but Varane is a brilliant player. Listen, if you think Van Dijk is better than Varane, I can't say nothing, but I think Varane's better than Van Dijk. I think Varane's, you know, he's my, probably my favourite centre-back in world football, really and truly, Thiago Silva in his prime. Um, So I get it. I think what Gary Neville is getting at is that, you know, Jadon Sanjo is a baller and he's on course to being a superstar. He is a star boy already, but people expecting him to be Neymar and things. And I think that's that would happen to him at United. It would. It would because he'd be bought for 100 million. He'd be seen as leaving leaving England as a boy, returning as a man. He's now an international footballer. Very few people will people will say, yeah, he's a young player. He needs time. He needs this and that. And they'll understand that. But many people won't. They won't care. Are you getting goals? Are you getting assists? Um, and obviously, many people... I'm watching Dortmund, but I'm not watching them religiously week in, week out. When he's in the Prem, it's going to be scrutinised even more. Because if, if assuming he's joining Man United or Chelsea, um, let's just say Man United for the purpose of this example, you know, if, if, it's, if it's Dortmund versus Bayern Munich, then we're watching and we're pre and Jadon Sancho. If it's Dortmund versus Bremen or Sao Paulo or Stuttgart, not many people are watching them things there. But at United, you know, you're going to watch him when it's the City derby or a top six clash. Equally, the games, when United's playing, typically it's televised, like all the top six. So you're going to see him against Burnley and all these sort of games. And he's going to need time to adapt. And what I mean by that is you're going to have more of an understanding on him. There's been many players that have come to the Premier League through seeing them week in, week out. I've got a different op opinion on them. And I'm not going to lie, you probably do hold internet players that don't play in the league to a slightly higher standard or different standard to when you can kind of see them come play week in, week out. But if I was Jaden Sandra, I wouldn't be scared to move to United. I mean, you know, you get a respectable wage. You'd be part of, you know, the Rashford staff, the all, you know, the young sort of star boys trying to get United back to the to the future. But I think he's got a good thing going at Dortmund. I genuinely think the time's probably come to leave, but he's got a good thing going at Dortmund. He's got Champions League football. He's playing games. You know, you're improving. There's no real scrutiny. Like, could you imagine if he was playing week in, week out? If a team bought him from City and he was playing week in, week out, the amount of criticism, if he isn't playing well, oh, this is why Pep never gave him a chance, he's not ready, his attitude is this, that and the other. Do you get it, people? It would be a different story sort of thing. So he's done the right thing. Um, and he's also been linked with the PSGs, the Madrids, the Barca's. If these teams are genuinely interested, then I think you should listen to them, man. I think Jadis Angel's going to be a star boy. I think he's going to be... You know, one of these players that succeed in, in... Well, he has succeeded abroad, but I think he could... You know, I ain't really seen... I, have I seen an English player go Real Madrid apart from David Becks and that? And Owen and that? And succeed... I, I mean, you could say British and technically cast well, um, Bale because he's Welsh and I think they... And they technically cast as Britain? Pardon me, I don't, I don't know, man. My geography's poor, but... Do you get it? I think Sanjo could be one of them guys. And obviously you had Laurie Cunningham, RIP, which I didn't get to see, but he's, as a young... As a black man... Um, as, to, as a young black man, he was an inspiration to me anyways. Um, so it is what it is. Finally, I want to end this on this though, people, because I've mentioned Jaden Sanjo, I've mentioned big money transfers. You've all seen, you know, let's say the Mbappes, the Highlands, the Neymars, all these names typically linked with moves, in it? Uh, if there's not Martinez, 100 million to Barca. 
we don't know how the market's going to react and you know United still in my opinion have the money to spend significantly on players but um, Ed Woodward has said speculation about transfers um, say speculations about transfers for hundreds of millions of pounds this summer is ignoring the realities that face the sport because of the corona pandemic nobody should be under any illusions about the scale of the challenge facing everyone in football and it might not be business as usual for any clubs including ourselves in the transfer market this summer um as ever our priority is the success of the team but we need visibility of the impact across the whole industry including timings of the transfer window the wider financial picture before we can talk about returning to normality so again we don't know what the landscape is so how can people really make decisions and stuff because we don't know the legality we don't know the final details so that puts things into perspective but you never know that could also be woodward playing coy because this could impact the market and it probably will but on the same logic it might not so we don't know man one thing i do hope that happens though as a byproduct of this is potentially an ideal world for me it'd be your targets are kind of too expensive so you need to scout a bit better and develop players and you need to look to your youth academy because there are some not listen there's some players will get a chance they're not good enough but there are players out there like again Rashford's chance at Man United probably would have come but how did it come through injuries there's players out there Tanganga at United through injuries do you get there's there's opportunities out there there's young players out there if they're not good enough sell them but some are some can save you a lot of money, people. Like, a lot of money. Look at Trent Arnold, Alexander Arnold. I, I always say that saved Liverpool about 50 million, but because of how he's playing and stuff, that's probably 80 to 100 now. Like, he'd probably be the first right back I see in my lifetime go for that mad fee if he ever said, you know, I want to leave. Because there's only certain clubs that are going to buy him. Do you get it, people? But it's been a lovely, it's been a lovely podcast. There hasn't been much to speak about, but I've enjoyed it regardless. And I hope you do too. Um, you know, if you want your other fix of my deluded content, make sure you head over to the YouTube platforms, people. I've got some good stuff out there. I've got a lot of vids, you know, make sure you check out my written content. Um as well. Um I did a last piece on Ozil, trying to update that and, and keep going in that a bit more. Hope you are all safe and your loved ones are safe. But for now, it's been a lovely one, but let me end this deluded podcast now. Stay safe, people. DG, I'm out. God bless.